welcome to Mission Church Las Vegas podcast. We pray that this message will be a blessing to you and hope that you will consider joining us in person next Sunday in the northwest part of Las Vegas. You can find out more about Mission at our website, missionlasvegas.com. Without further ado, let's start by reading this week's passage in the book of Matthew, chapter 28, verses 1 through 10. After the Sabbath, as the first day of the week was drawing, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to view the tomb. There was a violent earthquake because an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and approached the tomb. He rolled back the stone and was sitting on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing was white as snow. The guards were so shaken by fear of him that they became like dead men. The angel told the women, don't be afraid because I know you are looking for Jesus who is crucified. He's not here, for he has risen. Just as he said, come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, he has risen from the dead, and indeed, he is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there. Listen, I've told you so. So departing quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy, they ran to tell his disciples the news. Just then, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. They came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus told them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to leave for Galilee, and they will see me there. Now, it's here in Matthew 28 where we are faced with the ultimate question. A question that, friends, we cannot ignore. This is not a question in which we could uh, leave hanging on the side because the truth is, all eternity hangs on this question. All history hinges on the documented historical death of Jesus. And the ultimate question is this. Did Jesus rise from the dead? Did Jesus really rise from the dead? If it is true that Jesus has been raised from the dead, if it is true that all authority in heaven and on earth belong to Jesus, then there's nothing more important in our lives, I will argue today, there's nothing more crucial, there's nothing more urgent than believing in Jesus and following Him. Now, I know it's a big if. If this is true. If this is real. Because honestly, you may or may not believe this. But consider this morning that if the premise is true, wouldn't it make sense to agree with the conclusion? I'm going to argue this morning that there's nothing more important for every single person in this room this morning than to believe in Jesus and to be His follower. Because if Jesus really did die, and if Jesus really did rise from the dead, then there are some eternal implications to that fact. If the resurrection is true, You see, so are a number of other things. Most importantly, if the resurrection is true, then there is a God. Jesus is that God. The Bible is real and it's true. Heaven and hell are real places. And Jesus makes the difference whether you spend your eternity in one or the other. Now, before we dive into our text and before we answer these questions, let's take a moment and pray. God, we thank You and we love You. We're so grateful to be here today to to celebrate the fact that You are alive, Jesus. That You have 
defeated sin, Satan, and the grave. And you are ruling and reigning right now at the right hand of the Father. And we worship you. You're the only one who deserves our attention. You're the only one who deserves our glory and our praise and our worship. And so we do that today. God, would you do the work that you do this morning? Would you soften hearts, replace hearts of stone with hearts of flesh? Would you reveal to us the good news of the gospel and make that clear? Reveal ourselves who you are through this text and what it means to be a follower of you. God, would you draw us close to you this morning? Would you stir our affections away from the things of this world and towards Jesus? Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be pleasing and beautiful in your sight. I thank you and worship you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You and I are currently living in a time and in a place, a society and a culture in which religion is seen as a matter of preference or opinion even. When considering religion, the majority of people believe that all religions are fundamentally the same and that the differences in each one are merely superficial. It's the idea that as you go through life, simply just choose whatever works best for you. However, the result of this approach we have seen is that we currently are living in a society in which truth is relative. You see, the culture in which we live, absolute truth is either ignored or it's flat out rejected. And consider this morning that there is an absolute truth. And if there is, then to live in a way that suppresses that truth or rejects that truth, well, it would be not just simply irresponsible at best, but it would be eternally and ultimately costly. It would be a mistake. And here's why. Belief in anything, belief in anything is irresponsible and empty if that belief is not based on the truth. I'll say that again. Belief in anything is irresponsible and empty if that belief is not based on the truth. Many today will say, well, how can you tell me what is true? What's true for you may not be what is true for me. Let's be honest. Nobody really believes that. No one truly lives that way. After all, how would you react if you went to the doctor for a routine checkup? Within five minutes of being seen, the doc says, I feel like you have terminal cancer. Yet before your arrival, there have been no blood tests. You have seen no specialists. And you say, Doc, I just got here. You've ran no tests on me. In fact, the the nurse didn't even check my temperature. How can you say that I have cancer? What is your diagnosis based on? What is the truth that has given you this diagnosis? Well, I just feel like you have cancer. I feel as though that is true. That is what's true for me. So here's a prescription to ease the pain. But doc, I don't have any pain. Yes, you do. That's how I feel. So here's a prescription. Take it or don't. It's okay. You have one month to live. Have a good day. What? The last thing we need is for doctors to prescribe or or diagnose based on how they feel. I know this is a ridiculous example. But it works in proving that in areas, most areas of everyday life, we know instinctively to operate on the basis of truth rather than on our feelings or our preferences. But when it comes to our eternal reality, why would we disregard the question of truth? Do we really think that God governs the world and the universe based on how you and I feel or what we prefer? Well, our text this morning 
is a report of the most important event that has happened in all of history. And how you respond to this event should be based on the truth, not on how you feel. And here's why. Your eternity hangs on whether or not the resurrection of Jesus actually happened. So tell me, did Jesus rise from the dead? And I'm not talking about resuscitation or reincarnation. I'm talking about resurrection. In other words, was Jesus dead for three days? And did He rise up and physically walk out of the tomb? And friends, this is a question of truth. It's not of preference. Jesus either did or He didn't. And the ramifications of this event are crucial. They are eternal. You see, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then friends, you and I are wasting our time this morning. Our faith is a lie. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, we are fools sitting here playing a religious game. In fact, Paul the Apostle says so in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, we are to be pitied more than anyone. See, apart from the resurrection of Jesus Christ, there is no Savior, no salvation, no forgiveness of sin, no hope of resurrected eternal life. Apart from the resurrection, Jesus is reduced to a good man, but just another dead man. And He is no help to any of us if that is true. You see, without the resurrection of Jesus, the few billion people today who worship Jesus as God are gullible, silly fools who trust in a dead man to give them life. But if Jesus did rise from the dead, the circumstances are drastically different. You see, without question, the resurrection of Jesus is profoundly significant and is worthy of your careful consideration and examination. Now, I don't know where you are this morning on, your, on the spectrum of faith. You may or may not believe the testimony of Jesus and His disciples. But I hope this morning that you see that if, if it is true that Jesus rose from the dead, and He did so as the Lord of the universe, with all authority in heaven and on earth, then believing that Jesus rose from the dead and following Jesus as your Lord is the most important, most urgent, most crucial thing in all of your life right now. Let's take a look at our text. Matthew 28. You hanging with me? You doing okay? Matthew 28, verse 1. After the Sabbath, as the first day of the week was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to view the tomb. The setting is significant as it provides some specific details here, historical details. A real day and real people and a real time in history. The day was Sunday and the two people were the faithful Marys. They were there on Friday for the death of Jesus. They were there on Friday when He was buried in a tomb and have now returned on Sunday. And they returned for the surprise of their lives and the truth that would change the whole world. The course of history. The empty tomb. Now, it's of historical consequence that we take note that it's two women here who first witnessed the empty tomb and first witnessed the risen Jesus because in the ancient world, women were so marginalized that their testimony wasn't even valid in the court of law. So, if the Gospel writers were fabricating a story, if they were making up the resurrection story, they probably would not have included two women as witnesses made it a little harder for them. But they do. And this fact speaks to the truth that this is not a fabricated story. This is a historical account of an event that really took place. 
Now, consider for a moment these two women's emotions as they're coming to the tomb, as they arrive. The emotions that they would have been experiencing were intense. If you've ever experienced the death of a loved one and experienced the gripping emotions that come over you as you attend your loved one's funeral, these two women would have been going through those same emotions. You see, they were present when Jesus died. They were present when His dead body was placed in a cold tomb. And now they return to the tomb probably overwhelmed with the finality of death. And look at what happens in verse 2. There's a violent earthquake. Because an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and approached the tomb. He rolled back the stone and was sitting on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing was as white as snow. Let's note a few details here. What was the first thing this angel did? He rolled away the massive stone that was set in place in front of the opening of the tomb. Why? Why did he roll the stone away? Did Jesus need the angel to move the stone so that he could walk out of the tomb? No. Jesus was gone. He, was, he had moved on. The tomb was empty. You see, the angel moved the stone so that these ladies can make an entry into the empty tomb. He moved the stone in order to show that everyone, that Jesus, friends, He's no longer there. So that people could see that Jesus had risen. Now remember, these guards, there are guards stationed at the tomb. They were there to guard it and protect it, keep any funny business from happening. And as the earth began to quake and the angel begins to roll this massive stone from the tomb, look at what happens in verse 4. The guards were so shaken by fear of Him that they became like dead men. Imagine these guards pale in the face. Frozen in place. The knees were knocking. Their faces potentially laying face down in the dirt. And remember, these men were the equivalent to our modern day army rangers, navy seals. These men were not weak men. They were trained soldiers. These guys were not weak, but in this moment, they were debilitated. And they needed some rejuvenation. However, notice that the angel, he doesn't stop. He doesn't stop and give them CPR or resuscitate these guys. In fact, he doesn't even acknowledge them. You see, he is only there to share with these women what Jesus had, that Jesus had died, right? That, that you were reminding them this is what Jesus said before he had died. Remember, Jesus had told his followers that he would be killed, and three days later, he would rise from the dead. And so this angel is on scene to revive these ladies' faith by inviting them to see the empty tomb. Inviting them to see that Jesus had done what Jesus said He would do. To see Jesus, who was crucified, is no longer dead. He's alive. Now, before we continue on with our narrative in Matthew 28, the question is begging to be asked, why was Jesus crucified? And to answer this question, we have to pause for a moment and think both historically and theologically. And to do this, I'm going to give you seven brief truths that I believe are essential to rightly understand the significance of Jesus' death on the cross. And that first truth, number one, God is holy and without sin. God is holy and without sin. When you and I survey the world that we live in and we take notice of everything that's happening in this life, you can't miss the evilness, the injustice, 
the death that plague our world. And when we hear that everything was created by God, one might rush to conclude that the evilness in this world, the evilness that exists, reflects the character of God. That either He is evil Himself, or at best, He is indifferent to the evilness in the world. But friends, that truth that couldn't be farther from the truth, that conclusion would be false. In fact, the exact opposite is true. God is holy. He is set apart. He is without sin. And He is altogether good. And not only is God holy, but number two, God, He made us holy and without sin. See, not only is God good, but everything God created was originally good. That includes man and woman. But unfortunately, Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden disobey God. They sinned against God. And when they did, sin and everything that comes with sin invaded the world like a cancer. And here's the thing. Number three, sin results in death. That's the consequence. It's the wage. As though you would work and receive a paycheck, the wage and the earnings that come with sin is death. Both physical and spiritual death. Sin is separating us from God. And because God is the source of life, sin results in death. Think about it like this. You have a TV on your wall and you unplug that TV from its source of power. It would continue to exist on your wall, but it would functionally be dead. In the same way, apart from God, while you and I are physically alive, we are functionally dead, spiritually dead, apart from Christ. And because of sin, you and I will also one day physically die. That's the consequence of sin. You see, we are sinful, number four. Everyone but Jesus is a sinner. Only Jesus lived a perfect life. You and I are sinners, both by nature and by choice. You and I, we were not born perfect and angels as though we, we imagined we were. I did not have to teach my child to bite my other child for the remote. That is instinctive. They never saw me doing that to my wife. We have to teach our children to be good, right? We don't have to teach them to be bad. We are instinctively sinners and we are chosen. We have chosen sin. And our sins include our words, our deeds, our thoughts, our motives, as well as our failures to obey God and to keep His law and to, to accept the good life that He's offering us. But number five, Jesus, as I mentioned before, He is sinless. One of the things that makes Jesus distinct, one of the things that sets Jesus apart from everyone else who has ever lived on this planet is that Jesus alone is without sin. He alone lived in perfect obedience to God's good rule and reign. And number six, despite that truth, Jesus became our sin on the cross as our substitute. Jesus was made to be the worst of what we are. Now, I'm not saying that Jesus sinned because He never sinned. He did not sin, but rather it means that, that Jesus was made sin. On the cross, Jesus exchanged His perfection for our imperfection. On the cross, Jesus exchanged His obedience for our disobedience. On the cross, Jesus exchanged His intimacy with God the Father for our distance from God the Father. On the cross, Jesus exchanged our, His blessing for our cursing. He exchanged His life for our death. Isaiah 53, verse 6 says it like this. We all went astray like sheep. We all have turned to our own way. 
And the Lord has punished Him, Jesus, for the iniquity of us all. But there is good news, friends. 2 Corinthians 5.21 tells us that He made Jesus, who did not know sin, to be sin for us so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And that is good news, which leads us to the final truth. Friends, Jesus died for you. Think about this. For us to come together and to celebrate the death of Jesus as good news would be absolutely disgusting if it were not for what Jesus accomplished. That Jesus became sin and willingly went to the cross. He was not forced to do this. It was He willingly went to the cross in order to die for you and me. The just wrath of God should have fallen on you and should have fallen on me, but the death that our sins deserve fell on Jesus. Jesus, the sinless Son of God, literally stood in our place to suffer and to die. And in doing so, Jesus bore our punishment and took away our sins. Back to Matthew 28. Back to our narrative. You see, it's at this point, three days earlier, Jesus, He accomplished the most beautiful, the most important, the most loving sacrifice on the cross. And as these two Marys were on their way to the tomb, they had yet to fully comprehend what we just talked about. They had yet to fully comprehend what has taken place. And as they approach the tomb, they see the massive stone has been removed. They see the guards trembling in fear with their faces in the dirt. And they see this angel who looks like lightning. And the soldiers, just like them, no doubt these two Marys were trembling in fear themselves. But look at verse 5. How does the angel respond to them? Well, the angel tells the women, don't be afraid because I know you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. Perhaps the word of this angel is a word to some of you here this morning. You've come to church this Easter Sunday and in your heart, you're gripped by fear. Gripped by stress. Gripped by anxiety. You're gripped by a fear of, a fu- of the future. A fear that in some ways may even be irrational. And this morning, these words of the angel are sounding down throughout the years from the empty tomb and they're crying out to you this morning, don't be afraid. I know that you're looking for answers. I know that life is tough. I know that things seem like they're falling apart. And ultimately, the only answer to your fear, the only hope that you can find in a world that is marred by sin is in Jesus and in Jesus alone. Jesus who was, past tense, crucified. And Jesus who is, present tense, alive. Verse 6, the angel says, yo, He's not here. He's risen. Just as He said He would be. He is risen. Come and see the place where He lay. Then go quickly and tell His disciples He is risen from the dead and indeed He is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see Him there. Notice what the angel did not say here. He did not say, you know what? There's no need to check inside that tomb. Just take my word for it. Take it on faith. Just believe me when I tell you that He's gone. Now go. No. He tells them, go in the tomb. See for yourselves. Feel the bench that no one is there. See and and feel. 
The angel also doesn't say there's no need to look in here or anywhere because Jesus has spiritually risen. In fact, He's in the air, He's in the trees, He's in your soul. He does not say that. You see, the angel's inviting these ladies to use their senses in order to make sense of what has taken place. And the two Marys see and experience the empty tomb. And then after, they see and experience the risen Jesus. Look at verse 9. Just then, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. They came up, took hold of His feet, and worshipped Him. I love how He says greetings. Like, hey guys, what's up? Like, I'm here. Greetings. Then Jesus tells them again. He reiterates what the angel said. Don't, don't be afraid. Go and tell My brothers to leave for Galilee and they will see Me there. And off they went running to tell the others of the good news of great joy that Jesus is who Jesus said He was. That Jesus had done what He promised He would do. Friends, Jesus is the promised Messiah who has crushed Satan, who has defeated sin, who has conquered death, and all who believe in Jesus, all who believe that Jesus is fully God, fully man, lived His life in perfect obedience to God's good rule and reign, who died the death that you and I deserve, and by doing so, He fully satisfied the just wrath of God that our sins deserve. And He rose from the grave. And now all who believe in Jesus, we are gifted the forgiveness of sin. The righteousness of Christ. Eternal life with Him. See, Christianity rises or falls on the resurrection of Jesus. Because Jesus rising from the dead has startling implications for your life. You see, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then we don't have to worry about a thing He said. Because it would be all a lie. But if Jesus rose from the dead, which He did, then we have to accept not pieces of what He said, but all of what He said. Consider verse 18. Jesus said, all authority has been given to Me in heaven and earth. You see, Jesus' absolute authority is given to Him and it's based upon His resurrection. Which means that Jesus has absolute authority over life and over death. If Jesus rose from the dead, then we must also recognize the fact that He has authority over sin and death. You see, all people die because of sin. As I mentioned before, death is the payment of sin. However, Jesus is the one man in all of history who lived and died without sinning. And Jesus died for our sins in our place. And after His death, Jesus rose in victory, defeating the ultimate enemies of sin and death. Which leads us to our conclusion this morning. That Jesus also has authority over you and me. In other words, Jesus is your rightful Lord and Master. Consider Romans chapter 10, verse 9. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. Now, what does it mean? What does it mean that Jesus has absolute authority over your life? What does that mean? What does it mean for you in your everyday Monday through Saturday life? What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? Well, it means that Jesus is the sovereign ruler of your life. And friends, listen to me. That is the case whether you believe it or not. Whether you believe it or not, just as the grass is green or the sky is blue, Jesus is Lord over you regardless of your approval. 
I've heard many Christians say and make the claim, I have decided to make Jesus my Lord. There's even an old song that says, I have decided to follow Jesus. And I'm here to tell you this morning that that's not true. I hate to break it to you. You had no choice in the matter. Jesus is and will always be Lord. You don't make Him that way. He is Lord. And He's Lord over you. You see, one day, there will be a day when every single knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. The difference is, will you submit to Him as Lord now? Or when it's too late and He bends your knee? Now, not only does Jesus have authority over your life, but He also loves you deeply. The resurrection of Jesus is rooted in Christ's love for you. God sent His Son to pay the price of your sin. And the resurrection tells us that your hope and salvation is not some story or some myth or fabricated tale. The resurrection of Jesus validates everything else that Jesus said in His Word. Now, let's finish up with this last question. What do I do with all this? What do I do with this? See, all of a sudden, this question, did Jesus rise from the dead, becomes extremely personal. Tell me, do you believe in the historical resurrection of Christ? The Bible is clear that in order to be saved from sin and death, you must believe in your heart and profess with your mouth that God raised Jesus from the dead. And friends, this is what makes Christianity radically different from every other religion in the world. See, you and I, we are not given a list of things to do. We are not given a box to check. We are not given rituals to follow. There is only a truth to believe. However, we must understand that there is more involved to salvation than simply believing in the resurrection. And hang with me. To be clear, there is no work on our part. There is no work involved on your part. But there is a confession to be made. And listen to me, true confession is always followed by heart and life change. See, it's common for people in a, in a service like today to be urged to in, assent intellectually to the truth of Jesus' death and resurrection. To be urged to pray a certain prayer. To be urged to get involved with the church and to live a relatively good life. And if you do, there's a promise that you will be saved. But friends, listen to me. That is a lie. You see, there's a ton of professing Christians who believe they are saved because they've confessed with their mouth. But simply, they, all they have done is given lip service to Jesus because their lives are not surrendered to Jesus as Lord. They have not surrendered to His authority. See, to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord is not some magical prayer, but rather it's a change of heart that is what repentance is. It's a change in where you turn from your life before Christ and you begin a life anew following Jesus in all that you do. He is Lord and He dictates how you live your life. You see, to confess is to say, yes, I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. And I believe He rose from the grave as my Savior. And my life belongs to Him as my Lord. I pray that God does that work in your life today. May He lead you this morning to repentance and faith in Him. Let's pray. 
God, we thank You for Your goodness and Your grace. Your Word says that we were Your enemies rebelling against You actively. And even still, You came and lived a perfect life and died the death that we deserve and You have risen. And we celebrate that. God, I pray that You would do the work that only You do and that is to give life. Lord, would You change hearts, give the gift of faith. Would You resurrect lives this morning. We thank You for the opportunity we have to gather. And as we prepare for communion, as we prepare to witness profession of faith through baptism, Lord, we pray that You would continue to be glorified and then through these sacraments that You've given us as the church, Lord, that people would see tangibly the goodness of Your grace and Your salvation witnessed in front of them today. And through Your Word and through these sacraments, Lord, that their hearts would be changed. You would give them the gift of life. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. You have been listening to the Mission Church Las Vegas podcast. Be sure to check out missionlasvegas.com to learn more about us and to find more sermons like this. We hope to see you next week. You are loved, you're equipped, and you're sent. You are now entering your mission field. Thank you.